0: Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. When I was in Bible college, we were required to take Hebrew and Greek among other things. And Hebrew is um, probably my least favorite subject in the entire world. Hebrew is hard, okay, really really hard. And um, it's one of the subjects that I I attempted to pass several times before finally um, passing. Thank the Lord for withdrawal passing and and coming back at that at another point, you know. And so I did this when one semester while I was taking Hebrew, uh, my friend Matt and I would commute to the school there in Dallas. It was an hour and a half uh, long drive in the mornings and in the afternoons. And since we were both taking Hebrew together, then uh, we would quiz one another, right? So I'd be driving. He'd give me an English word. I would give him the Hebrew word. And then he would tell me if, 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 I, if I did well. You know, that's vocabulary. It's, it's a big part of learning a language. And so like one time, I remember he, we're, we're going down and he, he said a word. And, and I said, Chakmah. And he goes, no, it's Chakmah. And I said, I said, that's what I said. And he goes, No, no, it's guttural. You have to say it. I remember him doing this. It's guttural. You have to say it back here. It's Hakma. Alright? And I was like, Hakma. It's fine. And he goes, No, 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 no. Chakma. And I promise. He was over in his past, in the passenger seat, but I, I, his face was this close to my face at one point. Hakma. And I was like, man, it is a written exam. We don't have to pronounce this stuff. This is fine. Hakma. Hakma, I said, Matt. How about you? Hush. (laughs) Got on my nerves, you know. Know Know-it-alls, you know. And we've all been that, right? You've been a know-it-all. Other people have been a know-it-all. It's not all bad. Sometimes you need a know-it-all, right? So if you if you've got a friend who's a know-it-all in, I don't know, tax law, that's helpful every now and then, right? You call them up. Can I claim this? You know. If you have a friend who's a know-it-all in. Pediatric medicine, that's super helpful, you know, like, I, I don't know. The whole bottle's empty. They're sitting there smiling. I don't know. Is this going to kill them, you know? And so you got to make those calls every now and then. Uh, don't judge me until you've had a kid because you're going to make the same call, you know? So you ha- we have these friends. The important thing, though, is when our friends, our know-it-alls, know the right time to let us know that they know it all, right? You got to kind of have some distance there. It's not always helpful For someone to always tell you all that they know. In Job, up to this point, Job's friends are, I mean, they're honestly kind of being know-it-alls. They are lecturing Job on and on and on, letting him know that they know exactly everything that is going on with God, with religion, with Job's life. They are letting him know that they are perfectly in the know, that they have all understanding and wisdom and skill. In in fact, one of Job's friends has gone so far as to, uh, at one point earlier on in the story, he's telling him, Are you sure that you didn't do anything to make God mad? It kind of starts that way, but by the time we get to Job 28, this friend has gone off the deep end, letting Job know, I know that you have messed up. In fact, I'm confident that you stole people's clothes and left them naked, that you would not give people food that were hungry, that you would not give people drink that were thirsty, which is just off-the-wall nonsense. Job didn't do any of that. But Job's friend is sitting there saying, I know that you did that. And so Job in uh, chapter 28 here responds with a poem. He responds talking about, you know, really what we would think as knowledge, but it's really more about wisdom. What Job responds to these know-it-alls is this question on what all do you actually know? Job looks at the know-it-alls and says, what all do you actually know? That's what we're going to get at here today in Job 28. But before we do, let's pray together. God, thank you for the opportunity to serve you in this church. God, the, the many people all around our campus who are serving with a smile, that are making sure that people of all ages, whether they are long-term connected to our church or their first time walking in, that, that they feel welcome, that they hear your message and your word, God, that we are just normal people, broken people, but that we have found an amazing God and that you have revealed yourself through your word. So God, I pray that you would bless those who are serving. I pray that you would bless those who have gathered with us today for the first time, maybe the second time, watching online or in this room. I pray that they would feel welcomed, that they would hear clearly your word, God, that I would deliver that. That it would not be about stories or jokes or laughing, but God, it would be about your wisdom and knowing you more deeply. God, call us towards that. Drive us toward that reality. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen. So like I said, Job 28 is a poem about wisdom. Wisdom is used six times in Job 28 and 16 times it is referred to in this chapter. The Hebrew word for wisdom, does anybody know? It's chakmah, all right? Just just so you're aware, all right? It's a guttural, all right? So Hakmah is the Hebrew word for wisdom, and it is described in a lot of what we call wisdom literature. I told you this at the beginning of this series, that Job is a wisdom literature book, like Proverbs and so- uh, Psalms and Ecclesiastes. It's all within that, and that those books generally are poetry. Job 28 really takes the cake uh, for that sort of description. All about wisdom and it is a big poem. Furthermore, wisdom is described in these books as being something that uh, gives strength to the one who has it. It gives success to those who live by it. Wisdom will um, develop within the person who follows it self-control, not allowing ourselves to be controlled by outside forces, but instead by Wisdom Wisdom is described in a bunch of different ways, but it does lead us to the question, well, then what is wisdom? What is wisdom and how do I get it? If you looked at all the verses in the Bible, you could come to this conclusion that wisdom could be best described or defined as a person's judgment or decision-making. The word that I like to use to help us understand what wisdom is, is discernment. That's really the driving force Behind what wisdom is, it's not so much the idea of understanding things or a skill, but it is the idea of making the right decision at the right time. And we would all acknowledge, right, regardless of your age, if you're very young or if you're very old, that we need to be better at making decisions. Our problem right now is not that we don't have the information. In fact, the day and the age in which we live, most of you are holding within your hand or have within your pocket all the information of the entire world, all right? At any point, you can get the information. Our problem is not information. Our problem is discernment, is making the right decision at the right time. For instance, how many of you would know, how many of you know in fact detail It is not a good idea to eat a big bowl of ice cream right before you go to bed every night. Everybody knows that, right? And yet, how many of us do that regularly, right? It's not that we don't know. We're just bad at making good decisions, all right? We're just not great at that. What we need is wisdom. It's hard for us to wrap our brains around wisdom, and that makes sense, right? Because if we could easily understand wisdom, then we would all be wise. But it's hard to understand it because we often put it in the, the realm of knowledge or understanding. This is why we think sometimes that people with PhDs, their doctorates, then they're very wise. But if you meet a lot of them, most of them or many of them are not. Just like any human, PhDs do not equal wisdom. Sometimes we think of age as being synonymous with wisdom. But that, in fact, is most often not the case. It's not wisdom. Wisdom is not knowledge or the collection of details. Furthermore, it's not a skill, although those are related. Wisdom in the Bible is related to the idea of being able to do something with skill, but it's not exclusively that. There are people who could speak eloquently or turn a conversation in the direction that they want to or argue a certain point, even even decisively make you feel a certain way about things, and yet they are not practicing wisdom in their own lives or in the lives of the way that they uh, speak or orate. So it's not understanding and it is not skill. It drives us to this idea of what then is it? my sons have introduced me to this uh, song. I'll call it a song. It's more like a rap. It's called the Tour of the States. Have y'all, have y'all seen this? It's, it's a little song that they learn. I think they learned it at school or they were introduced to it at school. And uh, it helps them uh, learn the capitals of the United States, right? And so uh, it's really clever. And, and it, it is a, it's like in rap style. So it's very fast and, and there's a certain cadence and a certain rhyme to all of it. And even though I think I'm fairly certain I could pass a written exam on what are the capitals of the United States. I think I've I've got that down pretty good. The lyrics to this rap, I cannot, it's very clever. I I don't know them, right? I've, I've heard it a couple times, but I do not know the lyrics of this rap. Furthermore, the ability to say those words that fast and with that cadence is not something that I possess, all right? I neither know nor have the skill. Yet, and many of you will probably be in the same Say so We're not like our student minister who apparently raps if y'all saw that video, but we are in the same boat over here where we neither know nor have the ability and yet none of us would equate that with the lack of wisdom, right? We would understand that wisdom is something different. And so all I'm attempting to do at this point before we look at Job's three-part argument against his friends, his three-part poem responding back to the know-it-alls, what all do you know? I just want us to put out on the table this concept of wisdom and then maybe strike through a couple of the ways that we often think about it. Details, facts, skill. It's something else, what we would be defining as um, discernment. So Job responds in this poem in three parts. The first section, one through what I say is 14. Other people say is 12 is this idea of mining. And and I wanted to point out, first of all, that uh, in 12 and in 20 and in 28, so if you have your Bibles, 12, 20, and 28, the main point of the poem is sort of repeated in different words. But where can wisdom be found and where is understanding located? That's what 12 says. 20 says, where then does wisdom come from and where is understanding located? 28 is also going to mention wisdom and understanding, but we'll get to that in just a second. So seeing how this is verse 12, the first section sort of makes an argument in poetry form and then says the argument in 12. Look at that first section there, 1 through uh, 12 or 14. Here's a couple of excerpts that I, that I pulled out of what Job was saying. A miner puts an end to the darkness. He probes the deepest recesses for ore in the gloomy darkness. What Job is talking about is mining or excavating. He, he, he's, he's really creatively bringing this idea up to the front about the human ingenuity that is involved in mining of all things. So, just, so to speak about wisdom... Job starts talking about mining. That's what he means when he says a miner puts an end to the darkness. Uh, the jewels or the oil or the gas or whatever it is that you are mining is concealed in darkness and a miner will go down somehow. We, they figure it out. They go down and take that stuff and bring it out to the light. That's the picture that he's using. And you can see how this is going to relate to wisdom. In verse uh, 10, he cuts out channels in the rocks and his eyes spot every treasure so in these few verses joe poetically brings up the creative ingenuity the amazing ability of humans to to see what is unseen to go into the darkness to grab that thing that is unseen but yet is valuable and to bring it out to the surface and to spot it with our eyes What Job is saying is that we have this unbelievable ability to pull uh, what we want from darkness that is hidden out to the surface to be seen. It drives us to that point that he makes there in verse 12. But where can wisdom be found? In all of the amazing ways that we can go under the earth's surface and find uh, precious jewels or, or, or find valuable treasures... And we know that we need wisdom. Then Job says, "Then why can't we find wisdom? If we can do that, then why can't we do this?" And this is Job's illustration: mining. Right? We would maybe say some other things like um, getting on. Like we sent somebody to the moon. We sent some people. We put a we put a vehicle on Mars. And yet, have we found wisdom there? Are we now wise? what it drives us to understand or the answer the conclusion that we would have to respond is no. That in all of our ingenuity and in all of our creativity and all of our amazing abilities to mine the earth for things that we value and treasure, we have yet to be able to find wisdom. So on our own, we cannot find wisdom, not largely speaking. And Job, even though he's not an American, His thought process goes in the same way that most Westerners would think, right? He says, okay, so I can't find wisdom, but I did find diamonds. Can I then buy wisdom, all right? That's kind of the way that Westerners think. If you don't have it on your own, just buy it, all right? And so that's the direction that he goes, and that's what this next section is saying. If you go from either verse... Um, 12 down to 18 or so or if you start there in 14 I think it starts at 14 this is what he says gold and glass don't you love the way that glass was considered a fine jewel at that point gold and glass do not compare with it and articles of fine gold cannot be exchanged for it or bartered for it coral and quartz are not worth mentioning the price of wisdom is beyond pearls So you can understand that this is probably going to go in a direction, um, in a negative direction. If I cannot find wisdom on my own, then can I buy it? Job says, no, no. I mean, even if you could buy it, who would you buy it from? We don't have wisdom on our own. Nobody has found wisdom. And let's say that you did find some wisdom and somebody was willing to sell it to you, although I don't know why they wouldn't just keep it for themselves. But if they were willing to sell, what would be the price? supply and demand alone would drive the price up through the roof gold pearls jewels none of them nor all of them combined would equal to the value of wisdom so we can't find it on our own nor can we buy it on the way back from nashville a couple of uh i can't remember is that was that last week or the week before i, I can't remember i'm getting old everything's running together right and so we passed uh, we passed one of these uh, drive-through safaris. Show of hands, how many of you have gone through a drive-through safari? All right, I've seen like America's Funniest Home Videos and so I've always wanted to do this because eventually somebody's gonna get scared. And so there were four of us in the, in the, in the vehicle there, myself, my wife Jackie, David, his wife Abby. And uh, we, we decided we were gonna go through this drive-through safari and I was so excited. And it was a little detour and there was a bunch of signs and all of those signs on the way, none of them said what the little sign at the entrance said once we made the giant detour, cash only. Alright? So we get there, and we're a bunch of millennials, and we haven't seen cash in years, um, but we start digging through our wallets and purses and bags. We're finding like $5 bills that were stuck somewhere. It's like, where did that go? Who cares? So, you know, like add it all up together. And so once we finally added it all together, they said that the cost of entrance for four adults was $90. Yeah, I know, right? That's what we thought. Alright? $90. Now that included four buckets of food. And so... We went, not food for us, um, food for them. So we went driving through it, and it was fun. It was really fun. Um, this camel stuck its face in the car and scared Abby, and, and um, Jackie met some deer and made friends apparently. She told them all that she was happy to meet them and pet their little heads. At one point, this bison's head was so big that it could not get through the window of our truck, and it startled David. And so that, all of that was enjoyable. All of that was super fun you may ask me or you may think to yourself was it worth it was that trip worth it yes every bit of that 90 bucks well divided by four my my section was absolutely worth it just to see Jackie smile is worth 90 bucks not much more than 90 bucks but right I paid 90 bucks to see her smile that's fine to see David get scared of a bison I'd pay three times that much you know that was hilarious you know So yeah, that's an experience that I went to. And sometimes you say, well, you can't put a value on experiences like that. But I could, and they certainly did. It was 90 bucks and it was worth it, right? $90 was worth that experience. But that is an experience. It's not wisdom. You can't put a price on wisdom. I'll prove it to you in your mind right now. Wherever you're sitting, you're watching online. Answer me this. Can you say this phrase? Can you say, can you think of a time? Can you think of a time where you would go back? Can you say this phrase honestly? I would give anything to go back and make a different choice. Can you think of a time where you in your mind, maybe just one time, maybe there were multiple times, where you in your mind would say, I would give anything. I would pay any amount of money to go back and make a different choice. That's the price of wisdom. It's invaluable. There's no way to put a price on having the right discernment. Job says, we cannot find it on our own, nor could we buy it if it was available to be purchased. And in all of that, Job then takes this Turn. He transitions a little bit in his three-part poem. We've gone through two parts. His third part is all about God. If you look down in verse 23, he says, But God understands the way to wisdom, and he knows its location. For he looks to the ends of the earth, and he sees everything under the heavens. Job's last section shifts from the impossibility of finding or purchasing wisdom on our own to God and his access to wisdom. There's actually this one uh, section in there. I don't want you to read it. I don't have it on the screen. It's not gonna be on that screen. Let me read it to you. I want you to picture this. Think about the poetry here. When God fixed the weight of wind and distributed the water by measure, when he established a limit for the rain, And a path for the lightning, he considered wisdom and evaluated it. He established it and examined it. What is the weight of wind? Distributed water by measure, meaning like, could you just measure all the water and decide its limits? You know, when rain comes in and sometimes it comes from the side or there's a dark cloud over there, but it's raining here, the edges of the drops of rain, God has Determined. Have you ever seen a dry lightning storm where the lightning is leaping from cloud to cloud and it's lighting up the sky and you are both fascinated by it. You cannot look away, but at the same time terrified by it. That path that the lightning took, God knows. And not only does he know the details of it, not only could God tell you exactly how much water is on this planet. God knows that and has set that in wisdom. He has set that path to be the right path for lightning. That edge of the rain to be exactly where it needs to be. That in every decision, at every fork in the road, God has determined exactly the right path to make. You can't find it on your own. You can't purchase it, but God knows what. All of it. He experiences it. He has consulted. He considered wisdom and evaluated it. He established it and examined it. These things that are nearly impossible for us to fathom, things we cannot know, skills we cannot do, God can But also he does these things and knows these things with absolute wisdom. The best of all possible decisions God makes. Not not good or acceptable decision. God is making the right decision every single time wisely. There's a story in the Old Testament about uh, one of the kings. Y'all know the the Israeli kings? Uh, The second one was David. You know that one. The, The one before him was Saul he was not a great king, Saul, David the third one is Solomon David's son Solomon one time has a conversation with God where God asks him, hey I like your dad a lot or I like your dad a lot but uh, so ask, you know, ask anything and I'll, and I'll give it to you Solomon as you remember the way the stories con- are, are regularly told is Solomon asked for what? Wisdom that's the way we say it but that's not what Solomon said Solomon asked God for a discerning heart to tell right from wrong. That's all Solomon wanted. And the Bible says that God was pleased and he said, this is what God said, I will give you a wise and discerning heart. In other words, God defines wisdom for us. The ability to tell right from wrong. This is wisdom. Wisdom is knowing the difference between right and wrong and going toward right. It isn't calculating and it isn't selfish. It is right and it is true. You don't have to understand everything or know every fact. You just have to know which way is right. So all of this drives me to two main questions. The first question is this, what does this have anything to do with Job? Y'all remember Job? What this is all about? Lost everything. God allows Satan to destroy his wealth, his health, his family. And yet he sits here in his brokenness as his friends are lecturing him. Remember, the whole time his friends, his know-it-all friends are lecturing him. He's in immense physical pain. What does this have to do with Job? Well, it has everything to do with Job. Because as you well know, if you've lived any amount of time on this planet, it's always easier to do what's right when everything is going right. It's when it's hard that we need wisdom in knowing what's right. If everything is clear and laid out, if you're standing at the crossroads and this one just goes off a cliff and this one leads to, I don't know, gumdrops and, and rainbows and stuff, that's not a hard decision. You just go that direction. Unless you're, I mean, just thrill-seeker. You just go that direction. These are easy decisions, but when it's dark and you can only see one path in front of you or one step in front of you, that's when you need Wisdom. So it has everything to do with Job. Furthermore, Job's friends did not practice wisdom. I've said this before, so I won't belabor the point, but sometimes the wisest thing to do when people are struggling, the wisest thing for people to say is nothing. Don't say anything. In those situations, I don't know, maybe it's the way we were raised, and I know it's not everybody, but at least half of us have this insatiable desire to explain. We walk into a fire and we want to start telling people, why things burn and combustion and oxygen, right? And sometimes that's not what people need. What the friends should have said, which we all know, the friends should have sat down there and said, look, God is God, and I don't fully understand that, but I'm your friend. I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to sit here. And if you're suffering, I'll suffer with you. That would have been the wise thing to do. So of course, Job looks at the know-it-all friends and says, what all do you actually know? Because I don't think you know all you think you know that's the first question the second question would be well what does it have to do with us like you and me i think it's encouraging because we all know we need wisdom we all know we need to be better at making decisions we need to be better bosses and friends We need to be better investors and people interacting on social media. We need to be better at discerning what we should watch on television and what we shouldn't and who we should allow to influence our views on socioeconomics and politics and philosophy and religion. We need to be better at these discerning moments. And yet, for some reason, in our lack of wisdom, we have made the decision that there are other people who are wise and I'm not one of them. And I'm not saying that to dog on you. I just think that somewhere along the line, we looked in the mirror and said, thank God that there are wise people on this planet, but I'm just not one of them. I'm not, we might say it this way, I'm not super smart. I'm not super intellectual. But what God says in these final words are encouraging to me. He said to mankind, like that's us. He says to mankind, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn from evil is understanding. In other words, what God says in Job, the poem that Job writes is simply this. You can be wise. You can be wiser than you are right now. You can learn to be more discerning. So then how do we do that? We fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a beautiful, layered, um, thoughts or, or concept within Scripture, especially in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Let me just tell you this. So for a simple understanding of what the fear of the Lord means, it's just this. To see God as He accurately is. To see God the way that He has revealed Himself. So this means when we see the Lord, we understand, or the best that we can understand, we begin to understand that God is a sovereign Power that he is just and that he is right and that he will destroy those who rebel against him. We also see that God is a benevolent and gracious and merciful father that will forgive those who repent. We understand both of those things to be true, that he is all powerful and that he is a good, good father who gives good gifts and loves those who come to him. So, as we begin to see God that way, what Job is teaching us, what Proverbs is teaching us, what Jesus will say in 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew standing on the mountain, what James will reiterate as he explains what Jesus is saying is all of this. To know God as he is, is wisdom. And the closer you see that picture of God, the better you are at understanding that's not right. This is right. So as I make decisions as a, as a husband, as a father, as a citizen, as a boss, as a, as a follower, as, a, as an employee, as I make these decisions, I look to God and I ask the question, how did God lead? How does God treat those who rebel against him? How did God love? How does God speak? How does God communicate? How did God give? And to what extent does God give or is he willing to sacrifice? What kind of dad is God? You see, it's all being zeroed in and focused in on who God is and what God is doing. This reminds me of what we call the moral police, those people who spend all their time walking around pointing out all the bad things that other people are doing. I have noticed that those who spend all of their time pointing out the bad things that other people are doing are not often involved in the good things that God is doing. Be focused in on who God is and what he is doing. And this, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. It reminds me of uh, marriage and weddings and being married and all of that sort of stuff. And if you are not married, don't tune me out. In fact, if you are not married here, uh, right here this morning, um, you will probably understand this illustration more than us married people. Because us married people forget. Let me explain what it is. At some point, uh, you, you find the person that, that you love, right? And uh, you're just infatuated with them. And you just think that they're awesome. And then you decide that you're going to throw a party, a big expensive party, to celebrate your love. You, you decide that you are going to do that. And so you focus in on that. And then you get married. And then you do stuff together that married people do together. Like mow the yard and stuff. I don't know what y'all were thinking. You know, just, just life. You, you, you buy houses and such. And over time, we've been married 16 years or so, and over time, if you're not careful, the person becomes um, side by side your partner, right? Your partner in like the business sense of the word. We've got all these projects. We've got all these things. We've got to raise these things. They've got to learn to feed themselves, you know. We've got to cut the grass. We've got to, we've got to pay the bills. We've got to make decisions about refinancing and interest rates. And I have no idea. And what about, um, um, what do you call it, the, the, the shot for us? What about that? Well, what about the shot for him? You know, we've got to think through all these things. And you just become partners in this big project that lasts for a long time. That's the way it feels, right? But then if you think about it, if you think about it for just a moment, you remember back when you fell in love and you, you saw this person, when I fell in love with Jackie and we were, you see, it was love at first sight for me, not so much on her side, she needed a little convincing, but eventually she came around to my wisdom, right? And so, my hawk, my, Um, so when we were deciding to get married and that life and stuff, i didn't look at her and go man i would love to really build a retirement plan with you (laughs) i would really love to figure out paint in the living room you know i didn't it was just it wasn't about any of that it wasn't ever about any of that like for months and months and months all i was concerned with was her i just wanted to be near her i just wanted to know her jackie It had nothing to do with all those projects and that stuff we were going to do later. It just was about her and everything about her. The same thing happens in Christianity. Same thing happens in Christianity. You hear this amazing message that the God of the universe has paid the price to redeem your soul. And you say, sign me up for that. That sounds good. He sounds awesome. And you repent and you believe and you're baptized and then you live your life and then after some time it starts to become about God being like your Amazon distribution center. That if you need anything within two days or less, he will deliver. That you are going to really impress him with how many people you share the gospel with and how much work you're going to do and all of these amazing things that you're going to accomplish for God or with him and together he will help you or give you something or, or protect you. It all becomes about This project and what Job is reminding us of, what uh, what Proverbs say and Jesus and on and on and on, what they're trying to tell you is, it's not about all that project stuff. It's about God. It's about Him. And in another way, New Testament way for us to say this, in a way that just really blows my mind is, it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Not how I can impress Him. Or how we can do something amazing for him. Because it's not all that amazing if it's not all about Jesus. So we focus on Jesus because that's the beginning of wisdom. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.